Hello. Hello. What's up, guys? Will the Hi-Hat Brewer here. Happy Monday. Happy April 16th. What is it, tax day? Is it close to tax day? I keep hearing that getting thrown around. I don't know. I always do my taxes like the second week. Did that way back in February. I already paid all of my money to the government, so I ain't even worried about tax day. Tax day is just another day to me. Um, however, what I did do today uh, is I finished off my very first kettle sour. And I might, uh, might I just say, I think it's going to be fan-freaking-tastic. So pretty much followed it to a T uh, per all the online instructions that you commonly see regarding kettle sours. Uh, first off, if you don't know what kettle sour means... For all you non-brewers out there, um, welcome to the podcast, first of all. Uh, Kettle sour basically just is when you're brewing a sour beer, uh, so a beer that is slightly tart or even sour. um, That typically means you're introducing some form of bacteria, be it lactobacillus or pediococcus or bretomyces or whatever. Uh, and if you introduce that into your fermentation vessel and your other brewing equipment, it's likely to stay there or be rather difficult to clean, so they say, uh, and it can infect your future batches. So in order to avoid that, you would brew the beer as normal, uh, but only do a short boil and don't add any hops just to kill whatever's in the wort. And, you know, hops are obviously have a uh, sort of... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for, preservative type quality. So they would actually hinder the growth of bacteria. So you don't want to put those in yet. Uh, Chill it down, leave it in the kettle, pitch your lacto. And for me, that was a, this was the only part of the whole process that I was a little bit iffy on. Uh, I went with the Walmart nature made digestive probiotic blend. Uh, This is the advanced dual action pack uh and the cool thing i actually did i was looking around I, there's tons of lots of people use the uh the good belly probiotic drink which is pure lactobacillus uh plantarum which is the most popular uh as far as i can tell the most popular lactobacillus strain for kettle souring um so but before i ordered anything offline I, there wasn't any like health food stores around where i am here in salisbury maryland so i was i was just going to see what walmart or cvs had so i, I was at walmart first and I was looking at the health aisle, or at the supplement aisle by the probiotics, reading all the labels. Tons of them they have have like 15 strains of you know different lactose. You can't really see how much you're getting in each capsule uh, of any particular strain. You know I wasn't sure about those. Um, kept searching, kept searching. I came across this one. Now this particular one, and there'll be a picture of it here as well. I posted pictures of it before on Instagram as well. But this particular one is divided up into two capsules the whole pack has has two capsules one of them is for your small intestine this is basically what the label says uh, and one is for large intestine now the one for small intestine is 100% lactobacillus plantarum so that's good and on the nutrition label side it tells you that each capsule is 10 billion uh, 10 billion cells so basically what you can do if you buy if you end up buying this pack is you can just Use all of the small intestine capsules, uh, depending on how many how many cells you need. I went with uh, what did I go with? I went with ten billion cells per liter. I think is one of the one of the calculations I saw recommended, which ended up being about one hundred and twenty billion cells 
for three gallons. Uh, I think that was a little bit over actually what I needed, but that's what I went with. Uh, so I used 12 of the capsules. They're 10 billion each. Um, and then you can just discard the large intestine side, which is actually Bifidobacterium lactis, which according to the internet, you can actually pitch that into uh, a kettle sour beer and you won't have any trouble. Odds are that the lactobacillus will actually just take over uh, and that Bifidum or whatever it is, Bifidobacterium, that'll actually uh, likely not do anything at all. But if it does, even if it does somehow manage to grow, it won't actually hinder the uh, kettle souring or flavor of the beer. Apparently, but I didn't even chance it. I just went with all the uh, just the uh, plantarum side did 12 capsules in there uh, Wrapped it in a heat belt with my inkbird set at 90 degrees held it there for about uh, just under uh, Let's see I guess it would have been just under 48 hours uh, probably about 45 hours and that ended up bringing the pH down to about 3.3, not about, it was 3.3, which was at about uh, 5 o'clock today. So I tossed it on the stove, brought it to a boil. And so at this point, when you're bringing it to a boil, it's still in the kettle. So there's, back, there's lactobacillus in there now that's grown that you've pitched in there. However, you're able to boil that kettle. So it's going to kill all that lactobacillus. So now you can proceed as normal. You can add your hops. You can cool it down. You can put it in your normal fermentation vessel. You can add your uh, ale or lager strain of yeast. And it's not going to infect anything because the boil that you've done has killed all the lactobacillus. But the beer is, is still tart, so you've accomplished that goal. So anyway, that's what I went with my first time trying it. Everything went wonderfully. Uh, I didn't get any sort of weird smells or krausen or anything that I've seen some people get after pitching their lacto that would indicate it's infected with some sort of other yeast strain or something uh, it didn't show any signs of anything uh, except for the pH dropping it dropped on to 3.3 which is a pretty good uh, level I think and uh, I boiled it and it even boiling it I was the most surprised probably by the smell of the beer so this the, the grain bill was a hundred was uh, 50% Pilsner and 50% white wheat malt uh, again no hops before uh, the lactobacillus. I did add some hops after, but we'll get to that in a minute. The wort smelled like if you can imagine if you're if you were in the kitchen like making strawberry jam. Like if and I don't really know how to do it, but I, I'm pretty sure you like boil sugar and strawberries. I think that's how you do it. If you can imagine what that smells like, like hot, fresh strawberry jelly. That's exactly what this beer smelled like. And as I started to heat it up to a boil on the stove, the whole apartment just smelled like fresh strawberries. Um, I, I don't know, just a factor of the lactobacillus, I suppose. Um, I've read online sometimes where people get like dirty sock smells and, and weird, you know, sort of off aromas. Uh, I've even read that that tends to go away. So like even if it did stink, you're probably going to be okay if you go ahead and ferment it, boil it and ferment it as normal. Um, it'll probably still taste fine, but I, I mean, it smelled like strawberries. So I'm super excited to see how it tastes. Uh, boiled it for 15 minutes, tossed in a five-minute edition of Drumroll, please. I'm going to reveal this on the podcast. I haven't revealed it on any other platform. So if you listen to these podcasts, you're in the know. Uh, if you don't, actually, you know what? Well, anyway, the hot variety I used, I, it was not a single variety. It's actually a blend. Uh, so my friend Sean down at Extreme Brewing actually hooked me up with uh, three ounces of Pink Boots hops, the uh, the blend that was released by I think it was YCH, 
to commercial breweries only, as far as I know. Uh, this was back in I think March, early March for the uh, and the, all the beers that were brewed. Uh, tons of commercial craft brewers brewed a beer. All the proceeds went to the Pink Boots Society. I think it's like a it's like a women's uh, charity foundation, uh, maybe for breast cancer or women in the workplace. I'm not sure. Something like that. Forgive me, I didn't do my research. I just know it's Pink Boots hops. I get excited. Okay. He got uh, some, and he gave me three ounces. So I put five. No, excuse me. I put uh, fourteen grams at five minutes, and I'm going to do the rest, which is about seventy grams for a dry hop, big old dry hop of pink boots. So we have a kettle soured Berliner Weiss, dry hopped with pink boot hops, fermented with safe lager thirty four seventy at lager temperatures. So I actually have. A good starter of 3470 that I'm going to pitch in there once my actually I just finished cooling it off about an hour ago I've got it in my fermentation uh, this bag I use one of those cool brewing bags to uh, insulate my fermentation vessel I got it sitting in there with some ice jugs trying to bring the tent down it's starting to warm up finally starting to warm up here in Maryland so uh, the water coming from my faucet was only able to get it down to uh, about 60 degrees so i'm having to do the rest with ice so i'm waiting on that to get down a little bit before i pitch the yeast but what i was going to say is if you are listening to this podcast i think there's like two of you that do do me a solid okay find either the instagram or the facebook post where i talk about brewing this kettle sour and comment on it just put hashtag pbh okay Hashtag PBH for Pink Boots Hops because no one else is going to know that that's the hops that I used. Don't put Pink Boots Hops. Just put hashtag PBH. And then I'll know you heard the podcast. And I appreciate you. You are the real MVP for listening to this because uh, I think they're fun to do and I wish more, more people would listen to it. You know, it's a good way to pass about 30 minutes. So, anyway, uh, I got my starter of 3470 sitting on the counter over there staring at me, getting ready to pitch that in as soon as that chills down a little bit funny thing about that starter as well so um the 3470 the yeast that i built up in the starter about three days four days ago um that's actually second generation 3470 so i bought some dry yeast packets and i used those to brew the light american lager that i entered into the national homebrew competition that i've made videos on when i made the starter for that beer i built the yeast up uh, a little bit bigger starter than i needed and i saved a little bit from the starter before I pitched it into the beer and I put that into a sanitized mason jar and I've had that in my fridge ever since which has been over a month now I brewed that back in February so we're down April mid-April so it's been in the fridge for a while but everything was sanitized so I don't really suspect anything but nonetheless I did that I made a starter um I I uh Everything went as planned. Boiled, boiled the wort with a uh, little bit of light DME, put it on the stir plate, cooled it down, pitched the yeast, let it grow. It was a little slow to get started, but I mean, it's, it's you know, 3470, so that's kind of as to be expected. Uh, it was about a two-liter starter, built it up, and then uh, on Sunday or Saturday, I believe, it, it had pretty much reached high carousing, which was not really that high, but nonetheless, uh, and it dropped back out. So I threw it in the fridge, cold crash, and it sat in there for about two days, so... When I was decanting the beer off of it, I tasted it, as I've been doing lately. Shout-outs to my boy, Dr. 
what is his name? Is it Dr. Hans? Hang on a second. Hold on. Let me pause this. I got to get this right because this dude is, is freak. I love this guy. Hold on just a second. Yeah, okay. Sorry. So it, it is Dr. Hans. I just thought, I thought that was just too easy. Uh, Dr. Hans, H-A-N-S. This guy's a home brewer. Uh, he makes YouTube videos. <laughs> They're good quality videos. He makes some good stuff. He's very innovative. He uh, makes a lot of equipment upgrades and things himself. Uh, he has a very, very good uh, brew process. He brews with like a, it's not a grain father, but it's one of those sort of all-in-one systems. I don't, I'm not, it might be a mash and, mash and boil or whatever they're called. I'm not really sure, but, um, but he's got an awesome accent. It's just a really cool channel. So check out Dr. Hans. If you go over to his channel, leave a comment on one of his videos saying hi hat brewing sent you. So uh <laughs> I I haven't never talked to the guy at all. I just I just like his channel. But anyway, he always tastes his starters. And so I I started kind of tasting my starters. Like, that's a good idea. It makes common sense. You know, if it tastes like crap or something weird about it, throw it out. Don't ruin your beer. So I've been doing that. Uh and I tasted the starter on this 3470 and a couple of things stood out. It was extremely fruity, like very uh, sort of citrusy fruit forward, which a little bit wouldn't really surprise me seeing as how it's, you know, a starter is going to be fermented at a, a much warmer temperature than you would normally do the, the yeast itself for your beer. So like with a lager yeast, I'm fermenting it at 70, high 70s, maybe even by the time I cool it down and pitch it on the stir plate. So, I mean, not too concerned about esters really. Um, but it also had a, a very sort of almost tart flavor to it. And not, not so much as to say it was like an infection or lactobacillus maybe. I don't know. It was just very fruity and, and, and sort of tart. So it makes me think that either it's mutated in some sort of way or I, I'm not sure. Which for the Berliner Weiss that I'm going to pitch it into, I'm 100% not worried because that's going to go. If, even if it doesn't keep those characteristics great, if it does, even better because – they fit the style perfectly. But for future beers, if I'm going to be brewing light lagers or anything like that, I don't really want those characteristics in there. So normally I would, uh, my plan was to keep a little bit of that starter and put in the fridge to keep for an, a future lager. But uh, I decided I'm going to go ahead and pitch all of that in there and uh, just get some new lager yeast if I decide to do another lager in the future, or when I decide to do another lager. So I'm not sure what happened there, but... Nonetheless, uh, it went well. That's what I wanted to say. Um, and I'm excited to see how it turns out. Uh, I'm sitting here, if you saw in the picture, sipping on an I Choo Choo Choose You uh, New England style IPA. No, I don't stutter. That is the name of it. From Evil Genius in uh, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. I'm going to take another sip here, actually. So, it's pretty good. It's interesting. Let me read you the description, then I'll give you my thoughts. So it says, Our 6.5% multi-grain candy heart and hibiscus New England style IPA brewed with barley, wheat, rye, oats, spelt, and almost one almost 100 pounds of candy hearts. Now this was brewed back in February. Actually on the bottom of the can, the date is February 5th, 2018. So... I guess I should preface this by saying uh, it's not the freshest IPA, but it's not that old either. I mean, it's almost exactly, uh, or I guess a little bit over, two months. Uh, about 10 weeks old. So that's pretty old for an IPA, I suppose, especially one of this style. But um, 100 pounds of candy hearts. It is hopped liberally with Simcoe and Mosaic and infused with a heavy dose of hibiscus. 
the resultant is, is an explosively aromatic, bright purple IPA with layered notes of strawberries, peaches, and lemon zest. Um, perhaps it was that when it was fresh. I'm not sure. It is certainly pink. Uh, I don't know about purple, but kind of a pinkish red. Uh, when I first cracked the can open and poured it into the glass right away, I got a big hit of pineapple on the nose, uh, which I'm going to assume is the mosaic. But that quickly kind of disappeared, or at least I wasn't able to sense it anymore. Um, and now I'm really, it's just the Simcoe is completely dominated. Uh, I don't really get anything else at this point. Uh, I've been sipping on it for about 10 minutes here. It's kind of been sitting in the glass. Um, and it just smells like if you opened a bag of Simcoe and stuck your nose into it. It's just fresh Simcoe hops, kind of that grassy, dank. Uh, to me, Simcoe kind of has more of that West Coast style aroma. There's a little bit of like, I guess, lemon citrus characteristic to it, but it's much more on the dank hop side. Um, and I think that's sort of taken over the beer. So it's not bitter. Uh, um, it's a little hazy, a little sweet. It's red. So I guess in that sense, it is a New England IPA. However, to me, Simcoe doesn't belong in a New England IPA. I don't know. Maybe if it was fresh, I wouldn't be. I wouldn't think that. And maybe there's other combinations or amounts or things you could do with Simcoe. I'm sure it's it's. I mean, it's delicious. I, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying I don't like it, but to me, it just has more of a West Coast sort of danky, resinous hop flavor. Um, not bitterness like a West Coast would have, but just the flavor of it is more West Coast sort of. Um, to me, New England is more pineapple mandarin orange grapefruit uh lime sort of flavors uh mosaic i could definitely see citra galaxy amarillo those to me simcoe i would rather see with like a uh i don't know i would just rather see it in a, in a west coast ipa so having said that it's good it doesn't taste like candy hearts surprise surprise What's up with everybody put, I mean, obviously it's just a marketing gimmick. It's cool to make a label and say you put 100 pounds of candy hearts in it or take a picture of it. But in the end, it's just sugar and it's just going to ferment out and make a higher alcohol beer and a little thinner body. And maybe you get some artificial colors from it. But the flavors aren't really going to stand up, especially with that malt bill and, and uh, excessive hopping. And I'm not really sure what hibiscus even tastes like, if I'm being honest, uh, or smells like. I don't. I'm not even sure. That's kind of like uh, it's just one of those things. I, I don't, I don't really know. I don't really know what it, what to relate it to, or like juniper. Like juniper is one of those things that people use in beer descriptions. I, what does juniper taste like or smell like? I don't even know. Isn't it like a little red berry? Is it like cream? I don't even know. So. You know, but it's pretty good. Uh, a friend of mine from Philadelphia. Shout outs. Uh, Shout-outs to him. Shout-outs to Adam. I couldn't think of his name there for a second. Shout-outs to Adam in Philadelphia. He hooked me up with this beer. Uh, like I said, it's a few months old, but uh, it was a special release. I'm glad to have tried it. I don't really think it's in just about 10 weeks. I don't think it's honestly changed that much. Uh, maybe the uh, mosaic was a little more apparent, but nonetheless, pretty tasty. A little different. Uh, different take on a East Coast or a New England-style IPA, I would say. Um, but, yeah. Can't complain. Um, I can complain. 
though, if you'd like. What I can complain about, uh, if you remember, let's see, I talked about it in the tasting video that I did on the uh, American Pale Ale, the Philly Special that I brewed. And I was talking about how the keg portion had sort of taken on this sort of sharp metallic-like off flavor. And I didn't really know why, and it wasn't in the bottle portion. I speculated that the keg was dirty or something like that. Well, I got to the bottom of it. Turns out it wasn't the keg at all. Uh, in fact, what it was is the uh, I'd recently replaced all of my beer lines with uh, new vinyl tubing because the beer line that I had on the kegs prior was too short, and I was having to lower my pressure down to like 6 or 8 PSI in order to get a decent pour. Well, if you lower your pressure down that much, you, you know, obviously that's a lot lower than the pressure you would uh, pressurize the beer to. So over time, it, the CO2 would start to come out of solution. You get a lot of bubbles in the line, and then it would foam up in the glass. It was just a mess. So I was I needed longer lines, basically. I needed longer beer lines. And so I went to the Home Depot, and I picked up some vinyl tubing, thinking this will be perfect. Lo and behold, I'm getting this very terrible off flavor. And when I really thought about it, it wasn't metallic. What it was is like plastic. If you can actually, actually imagine actually putting that vinyl tubing in your mouth and chewing on it like, the, like a new shoe sole you know kind of like that sharp rubber flavor slash aroma that's that's what it that's what it was plastic rubber and that was leaching into the beer uh and the reason i picked it out is because i just uh kegged up that um, uh, red ale that i did with jalapenos and it was starting to get the same character and it's in a different keg but it all it had a new line on it so uh, and in fact, the line I used on that was one that I had soaked in PBW for, uh, for about 24 hours and then completely rinsed out and then hooked up to the keg and I still got the flavor. So it's not because it's like new or I didn't rinse it out good or anything like that. Like it's just that material. Uh, and I actually did a Google search and found tons of other people online and on various forums that have had the same problem. Uh, and so pretty much I broke down, I bought the, um, I think the name of it is like ultra flex. It's like a Bev. Bevflex or Ultra or something like that. Glass. It's a glass-lined beverage line. Uh, it's actually what, um, like, professional and commercial soda dispensaries and, and big breweries use uh, in their kegerator systems, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, it seems like, from what I could do research-wise online, they used to not actually re uh, make it or at least sell it in um, smaller volumes in the size that you would need for a home-brewed keg. Uh, but now they do. Uh, it's a little bit more expensive, but supposedly it's actually lined on the inside with a barrier of glass, so it won't ever uh, leach any sort of flavors or taint or grow any sort of bacteria or anything like that. It should last forever, so I didn't mind paying a little extra price for it. And it's still not that expensive. I got like 100 feet, which is way more than I actually need. I might end up uh, selling some or giving some away or something like that to some more homebrewers if there's some interest. I'm not sure, but... Uh, the difference between 50 foot and 100 foot was like four or five dollars on the website that I found. So I ended up just buying 100 foot and I'm going to make at least three new portions of beer line. Get that old stuff out of there. Uh, just use it to transfer beer. If you're using that kind of that Home Depot vinyl line to like transfer your beer from your fermentation vessel to your uh, keg or anything like that. Short contact is fine. It won't really leach any flavors, but. If it's sitting in the beer line, you know, for a while, like it would be in a keg, it, it really does start to take on this plastic. And I mean, it's so apparent, like even in that hoppy pale ale, it was like overpowering all the hops, very noticeable. Um, 
really frustrating and it you know to the point where i instantly when i found out i got online and ordered that beer line because i don't want i don't want any of that flavor in my beer like it was just annoying so i ordered that i think it's supposed to come wednesday i also ordered a regulator because uh i, I bought a new co2 tank so another thing that happened this week has just been as far as finances go downhill uh slope for me because I don't know how to say no when it comes to homebrewing equipment uh, and making sure my process is to the top uh, quality. So uh, I kind of rigged up a little setup for purging my bottles of CO2. I got the bigger three-gallon kegs, as you saw. I have two of those now. Uh, And so when I'm doing all this stuff with CO2, my little paintball one-and-a-half-pound canisters just don't really last that long. Um, I went through – I got them both filled – like two weeks ago, and I ended up emptying both of them uh, the other night when I was bottling the uh, the Imperial Porter, as I'm going to call it now, but the uh, the Imperial Stout slash Porter that I brewed back on April Fool's Day. Um, I ran out of CO2, and it was very frustrating because I needed it to transfer the beer, and I was having to, I, I got down to just one of the tanks, and I was having to like purge a few bottles of CO2 and then unscrew it and hook it up to the keg so that I could, I'm, I'm making a video, so you'll see what I'm talking about soon, but it was just it was just a mess. So, uh, I got on uh, I got online. I was I didn't want to buy a new. I, originally, I was just going to buy a five pound tank. So I searched around on Craigslist and Facebook Marketplace and Amazon and eBay, and I was trying to see what, if there was any used ones out there that I could pick up. Uh, on Amazon, the cheapest I could find, you could get a new five pound CO two tank uh, aluminum for about sixty bucks. And so that's the plan. That was the route I was going to go originally. Um, but then I stumbled across on Craigslist, uh, about 30 minutes away, this guy was selling two 20 pound tanks, um, for a good price. And 20 pounds is a little bigger than I wanted to go with, but they're only, uh, probably about 26 inches tall. So they're not giant. Uh, I can manage it at least one of them. Um, so I, I just went ahead and bit the bullet. I bought both of them. Uh, I think I'm just going to sell one of them try to get a little bit of my money back uh, and they're in good shape. They're good tanks and I can give somebody a good price on it because I didn't pay that much for them. So um, hopefully somebody else can benefit as well. So if you hear this and you're in need of a CO2 tank uh, and you're near Maryland, or if you can wait until I'm somewhere where you are, hit me up and, uh, and I can hook you up with a 20 pounder for a good deal. Um, But anyway, so now I have a 20 pound CO2 tank and then the two paintball guys. So my plan moving on, moving forward is I got a regulator with, dual outputs on it um i'm going to use that i'm going to use the bigger tank for like filling and purging the the three gallon kegs and uh purging bottles and transferring beer just doing things that require more gas essentially um and then i'm just going to use my paintball my paintball bottles for uh serving beer and those work great for that because they fit right in the fridge they don't take up very much space and if you're just serving beer with them, I mean, they'll last for four or five kegs worth of beer. I mean, they really last a while if that's all you're doing with it. Even on the, you know, obviously, once the three-gallon keg is is uh, carbonated, it's not going to take much gas, any more gas really to serve it, uh, you know, than it would a one-gallon keg versus the amount of time you'd be serving it. So that's kind of my plan moving forward. If I ever go anywhere, uh, I can easily fit those in the cooler even with the keg if I want or – I can take my big bottle if I'm able to, and since it's got two outputs, I could actually serve two kegs off just that one bottle. So I think it'll work out um, in the long run. But I just hate having to buy. 
the buying stuff uh, to improve your process, basically what I'm saying is it just never ends. You know, there's constantly something to improve. Um, you you have a brew day and something goes a little bit awry or a piece of equipment doesn't do exactly how you want it to. And you think, oh, I could, I could do this better. And so you buy something. I mean, I, it's just never ending. I've been doing this for over a year, actually over a year now, and uh, which is nothing compared to some guys, but always, always improving. Just trying to make better beer. Um, getting closer to May, which is when they're predicting that the results from the National Homebrew Competition will be released. Um, I've already been seeing some people post online that they've placed or, or they've you know gone to the second round and all that. I think most of the that judging has been out of Portland. I think Portland was the first the first judging center to complete and get their entries or their uh, results out because everyone that I've seen last week posting about getting uh, the results of their entries back was in the Portland location. Uh, and I think Colorado's a close coming up to that. I submitted all of my beers to the Kansas City location. So last I checked, they still haven't finished judging. Um, it's kind of frustrating. And, and other people online were saying the same thing. You know, they, they set the uh, submission deadline. And then some of these centers aren't judging the beers until like almost a month later. So like if you were doing a really hoppy IPA or a New England style IPA or something like that, you're having to brew that beer and get it submitted. I don't remember what the submission deadline was, but let's just say it was like, uh, I think it was the second week of March. So let's say 320, let's say it was March 20th. So let's say that you brewed the beer. You knew you were going to have to submit it, by, submit it by March 20th. So if you were doing it like a hoppy IPA, you would probably brew that on like uh, I don't know, the 5th, March 5th through the 10th, somewhere in that range. Ferment it, turn it over, get it packaged within – six seven days if you were kegging it uh maybe force carbonated even maybe throw some keg hops in get it done get it sent off by like the 14th or 15th if you're having to mail it maybe you can just drive up and take it off best case scenario you probably brewed it about 10 days before the 20th if that was the deadline so let's say the 10th well if you turned it into you know any number of those sites that haven't judged yet here we are over a month later uh april 16th and they still haven't judged your beer, theoretically. So a lot of those hot flavors have started to kind of decline. And your beer has certainly changed from what it was when you first brewed it. Um, and I don't think there's anything you can do about that. Uh, and a lot of these newer styles and the more popular styles that people are brewing and drinking and seeking out nowadays are these New England style IPAs and these hop hop forward beers where, you know, even the breweries that sell them on a on a on a commercial scale and a really popular form, you know, your tree houses and your trilliums and those guys, people are lining up to get those beers fresh and a month, two months down the road, you know, they're not, I mean, they're still good, obviously most of the time, but they've obviously, they've fallen off and people that even love those beers will admit that. And, you know, and a big part of their success is the freshness that freshness that people are, are getting those beers and buying those beers. Um, from those breweries. So if, if you're into that style and that's a style you submitted, uh, I feel like that kind of sucks. Uh, luckily for me, I guess I just kind of went with a pale ale, uh, hoppy, but not, not, I don't think it would suffer too much. And then a light American lager, obviously not, if anything, it improved. Uh, hopefully they kept it cold the whole time. That's another thing to kind of be concerned about with that amount of time between arrival and then actual judging, especially if you mailed your entries like I did, you know, where, where are those beers sitting that whole time? Who's keeping them? Are they keeping them in a the fridge? You know, are they just sitting out in a lobby somewhere or somebody's trunk? I don't know. You know, who knows? But 
Good luck to everybody who entered nonetheless. Excited for you. If you already found out, you made it to the second round. I haven't heard anything yet, but as soon as I do, you will be the first to know. Uh, you as in whoever's following me on social media, please do that. I'm going to finish off the rest of this beer, eat some dinner, and get to bed. Got an early start tomorrow. Hope you guys have a good rest of your week. Thanks for tuning into the podcast, and I'll catch you in the next one. Cheers, guys.